Hello, and welcome to Sobercast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. And so it's with a great deal of pleasure that I introduce Conrad C. to you. Good morning, everybody. My name's Conrad, and I'm an alcoholic. John made one little error. We, uh, poor Canadians, aren't backed by a claim. It was another group that they wanted back. <laughs> other than Joe, who's on our panel, uh, none of the other three of us have been here before to this particular conference. I've got to follow this... Uh, little guide here. I'd like to call on Al G. from Bath, uh, Michigan to uh, do the anonymity clause for us. There may be some here who are not familiar with our tradition of personal anonymity at a public level. Our personal, excuse me, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain our personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, TV, and film. Thus, we respectfully ask that no AA speaker or indeed any AA member be identified by full name in published or broadcast reports of our meetings. The assurance of anonymity is essential in our effort to help other problem drinkers who may wish to share our recovery program with us. And our tradition of anonymity reminds us that AA principles come before personalities. Therefore, we respectfully ask you to refrain from taking pictures during this meeting. Thank you very much. Thank you, Al. And skip B from Flint to do the invocation for us, please. I'm Skip Butterfield, an alcoholic, a grateful alcoholic. This is something I have never done before, so I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, if you bow your head, you'll have a little prayer. God, please help us. be able to say the things that we want to say at this panel and uh, give them the courage to say the thing that is supposed to be said. And dear God, please uh, help the people get home safely when they leave here after this great weekend. And God, help the poor suffering people out there that is reaching their hand out for help. And have someone there that that take their hand when their hand is out and so that they can receive the benefits that we have received. And for that, God, I'm grateful. And I'm sure that everyone else here is grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Skip. For those of you that are into uh, perfectionism, 
Just to show you that we're probably about the same down where we come from as you are up here. Y'all are up here. The only thing that's... Uh, the first three things on the um, spiritual panel, the first three listings in the program are correct. Uh, I was the one that phoned in the information, so they got my name right. Al G was right, except they put the wrong place down. Skip was right. And then uh, we come to Don, and uh, we got him first. He's going to be last. And uh, he's a guy, and it's spelled uh, like a gal. And the other two are uh, not here. <laughs> and it's not easy at the last moment to... Ask somebody to go uh, 500 miles or 450 miles, spend $200 to get up here and be scared out of their wits. <laughs> so I looked around and I found a couple of flakes. <laughs> so here we are. I was asked to mention that there's a lady here today who's celebrating two years True C from down around Detroit. Would she stand up? We'll give her a hand. There may be others, but nobody told me, so we'll move it on. I woke up uh, this morning and it was daylight. I had my alarm set. And the little thought went through my mind, it was 20 to 11. And I was seized with panic. That happened to me when I was drinking many times. And uh, the panic didn't last because I looked at the time and she was only 7.15 or something. Um, it's funny that those things don't seem to happen when you're sober. And here we all are. We're going to start the panel uh, with someone that a lot of you know, uh, Joe from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Joe. I am standing. <laughs> Should have had a box here for me, I'm short, you know. My name is Joe. I'm an alcoholic. This is a, an honor and privilege to be here today. Uh, I've been praying for a long time to uh, be able to speak in front of uh, more than two people. <laughs> I, was I was considering maybe three or four would be a crowd for me, eh? But this is, uh, this is a real honor and a privilege to be able to come up here and uh, to, share, to share my ideas of what uh, a spiritual condition is. Now, for me to talk about a spiritual condition, and for me to talk about the higher power of my understanding, for me to talk about God the way I understand Him, I, uh, I'm not the type of guy that can talk slow. I have to talk uh, the only way I know how to get my point across. I've been, uh, I've been known to be an aggressive speaker. I was an aggressive drinker. I was a violent drinker. I, uh, I never ever thought that I'd be on a, on a spiritual panel. That's for sure. We're all, uh, we're all walking miracles. 
a few years back, I was here on a spiritual panel, and I told the boys from work that I was going down to Boy Mountain to be on a spiritual panel, and I thought they were going to faint. <laughs> one, one of my friends said, you're going to go there and ruin your image, Joe. <laughs> so I'm kind of glad I'm ruining my image. But uh, I think this is one of the most difficult things for any alcoholic, especially this one, to get up in front of a crowd. And so many people here this weekend have been so kind to me. I, uh, on my way down here, I... I cried for two hours. I was reminiscing about certain things in my life that have happened since I joined Alcoholics Anonymous and how grateful I am to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not grateful to be an alcoholic. I'm not proud to be an alcoholic. And I'm shaking in my boots like normal, any normal alcoholic because I was an introvert and I couldn't talk. When I joined Alcoholics Anonymous in 1977, I, not, I never talked for three and a half years and I had to go and get drunk. And once I got drunk, I finally got a sponsor and the sponsor told me that I had an allergy of the body coupled with a mental obsession, that I had a threefold disease, a disease of the mind, mental, a disease of the body, physical, a disease of the soul, spiritual. They told me that I had a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. What that told me is that I, I didn't have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my mental and physical condition. They told me that I had a degree of spiritual condition, and if I found the spiritual condition, the mental and physical condition would take care of itself. They told me that if I wanted to stop the phenomena of craving, that I, had, I would have to be grounded in a power greater than myself. They told me that I have to come and believe in a power greater than myself that would take me to sanity. And I always figured, what the hell is a power greater than myself? I always thought I was the power. Then one old-timer says, well, can you believe that you don't take out the moon, the stars, the sun? You don't make the water run down the lakes? You don't make the forest? And I said, yeah. He said, well, believe in that kind of power. So that's the kind of power I started, eh? And I just want to show you a little bit what God's done for me today that... Uh, in 1969, my dad died, and I uh, I went violent. I went berserk. I couldn't handle that. Eh? I was I was saying, who are you to take my father, especially for my mother? Eh? And I drank for eight years, and I was in and, in and out of jackpots and all this kind of stuff. Eh? And then I joined Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, uh, like I said, I stayed in A for three and a half years, but I couldn't stay sober. I got drunk again until I got a sponsor and I got a teacher. They told me that I had to go to school, and I had to work 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and and try to live by the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, and try to believe in God of my understanding. I used to have this sponsor. I still got him through the grace of God. He's, a, he's been the most beautiful friend I've ever had next to my mom. And uh, I think about how he used to pound me. You know, we used to. I sat 14 months with him, and every day he talked about this God. You know, and I said, here I'm just fairly new after a drunk, and this guy's talking to me about God, the higher power, and you gotta believe, you gotta believe. And I'm looking at him. And he's French, right? And I never did like French people when I was when I was drinking. <laughs> My father never liked French people, so I didn't like him. You know, I want to be like my dad, right? I didn't want to be like my dad. I want my own identity. That's why I joined AA, to be me. My sponsor told me to be who you are no matter where you are. You're Joe DeLavelle, and that's all you can be. You can't be Abraham Lincoln. You can't be Prime Minister Mulroney. You can't be anybody except Joe DeLavelle. And all my life, I tried to be something I wasn't. When I drank, I was every, everything except Joe. I didn't know Joe. So I heard an old-timer one time. He said, Joe, maybe you should get to know yourself. Maybe you should get to like yourself. Maybe you should get to love yourself. And once you get to love yourself, you can give of yourself. But unless you love yourself, unless you trust yourself, you can't love anyone else. You can't trust anyone else. You know, this is all the higher power. This is the, this is the God of my understanding. You know, I know how hard it is. There's got to be somebody out there in this small little crowd today that's, that's thinking that there's no higher power, there's no God. Why does this happen to me? You know, when, when, I, when my dad died, I, I said that. Who the hell are you to take my father, you know? You're not that powerful. My dad's more powerful than you, but he wasn't. Eh? My dad's gone. And I drank for eight years, but it didn't bring my dad back. And I and I worked for 14 months with my sponsor, talking about God, talking about the higher power, trying to find the, the spiritual condition. What is a spiritual condition? A spiritual condition is changing your attitude in the higher power towards the higher power, changing your attitude towards 
towards your fellow man, changing your attitude towards yourself. If you don't change your attitude towards God, God can't help you change your attitude towards your fellow man. God can't change your attitude towards your, yourself. And this is all the, the process, process of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I never used to think this way. I had a hard time finding God. I had a hard time finding the higher power, you know. But I know today that when I cry or when I hurt, I get on my knees and I ask God to help me. And He helps me. I've never seen a fail in my life. I, I wanted to drink so many times since I joined Alcoholics Anonymous. And I get on my knees, or I don't have to get on my knees. I could be walking. I could be crawling. I could be t uh, sleeping. Whatever I'm doing, I just ask God, please God, please God, please God, lift this, lift this dilemma from my mind. Lift this dilemma from my soul. Lift this dilemma from my, from my mind, my body, and my soul, because it's three-pole sickness that I have, and you have to remove it from all three aspects of my life, or I can't stay sober. I need the courage to change. Where do I get the courage to change? They told me how it works. No human power could relieve me of my alcoholism. But, but God could and would if he were sought. So they're telling me probably no human power could relieve me of my alcoholism. So if I want to change, and I want to keep changing, and I want to progress in the right direction, how do I do it? How do I do it? I find God of my understanding, whether it's a black God, a white God, a green God, a red God, an Indian God. It says, as you understand him. Isn't that nice and beautiful? Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson put that in there, that as you understand him. So whatever my belief is doesn't have to be your belief, and whatever your sobriety is doesn't have to be my sobriety. Whatever your understanding is of your fellow man, it doesn't have to be my understanding. What is a spiritual condition? A spiritual condition is being considerate of others. How would you like to be treated if you were a sick, suffering alcoholic? When a sick, su suffering alcoholic comes to you, act as if it's you, Jack Brennan says from New York. When another alcoholic comes to you, Act as if it's you, and if you love yourself through the grace of God and Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll never let that other, other alcoholic go, and that's what I do today. At one time, I hated God, and I hated AA, and I hated society, and I hated myself. That's why I had to get to know myself, like myself, and love myself. This is what I work on today, but the whole program is spiritual. If you read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, as long as we place dependence upon people ahead of the higher power, we'll probably drink. We'll suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. All throughout that whole book is God, the higher power. You know, and sometimes I get pretty heavy with the word God, and sometimes I get pretty heavy with the with the word higher power. But I'm the kind of alcoholic that needs that, you know, because like I said, when my dad died, I drank for 18, 8 years, and then when then I got a sponsor, and I worked 14 months, and I met a beautiful girl. And I'm just trying to show you the difference, what Alcoholics Anonymous could do for me. I met a beautiful girl, and after after knowing her for a little while, she got killed in a car accident. I come out of that like a champ. I didn't drink. Why didn't I drink? I didn't drink because I had the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I didn't drink because I have God of my understanding today. That's the whole program, you know. You sit here, and you know, and you know when you know when I know I got God. I got God when you walk into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous, and you know you just sit there and you listen to the silence. Have you ever tried to listen to silence? And you feel it. You feel the warmth. You know. I travel alone. I go to conventions alone. I could never be alone by myself before. I never in my life stayed sober on my own. I could never sit in my living room by myself and watch a ball game or a hockey game or a movie or read an intelligent book other than Playboy and Penos. You know? You know, if you would have told me that someday I'd read the Bible, not much, but I did pick it up one night. I was hurting and I was crying and I wanted a drink and the walls were caving in and I wanted to commit suicide. And I started reading the Bible, and I was reading the Bible, and I got a call from someone I never heard from from 10 years. And this was at Easter time, and I'm always sentimental around the festive seasons, Easter, Christmas, birthdays, anniversaries, my dad's death, any kind of sentimentality, that's me. I cry at the drop of the hat. I'm a very sentimental alcoholic. God in the NA is giving me so much feelings today, you know. I was told, but, but getting back to the story about the Bible, I was reading the Bible, 
And I get a call from 2,500 miles away, and this girl that knew me before, she had heard somehow that 2,500 miles away, how the hell did she find out I, was, I wasn't drinking anymore? But she phoned me, she said she, she happened to be, she happened to pick up the Bible and she was reading it, and all the time she was reading the Bible, she was thinking of me. Amazing. So I guess I was reading the Bible at the right time. I wonder if we were reading the same page. <laughs> Imagine if I would have been reading the Penos. I would have been very lustful when she called. But through the grace of God and Alcoholics Anonymous that, uh, and I'm not always this serious, you know. But, uh, when you get up in front of people like this, I mean, you know, this isn't easy. You know, this isn't easy, but, uh, I know today that, uh, without the higher power of my understanding, without the fellowship, more and more I see, and, uh, and I, I've been going through something for the last ten weeks, eh? I've been really hurting and crying and doing a lot of, a lot of crying, a lot of hurting, and I've been saying, well, maybe I'm not an alcoholic. What if? But this. I think I'm different. I'm not different. I have an allergy of the body coupled with a mental obsession. The geographical cure does not work for the alcoholic. When I go to Vancouver, or if I drive to Detroit, I'm going with the allergy. The phenomena of the craving doesn't take place until the first drink. We have a saying back home in Sault Ste. Marie, it says, if I don't stand in the twack, I won't get hit by the twain. You know, it, it's really funny. You know, you ever, I don't know what type of alcohol, alcoholic you are, but you ever pray for something and then it comes and you say you don't want it? <laughs> the alcoholic is all backwards. We gotta watch what we pray for. We might get it. I prayed that I'd be on a panel. I'm up here. I don't want to be here. <laughs> you know? But, uh, I think that, you know, if you wanna stay sober, you just follow the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, he, he just, uh, one old timer told me, he says, when I first come around, he says, could you say please in the morning and thank you at night? Those two words, three words. Please in the morning and thank you at night. I said, sure, anybody can say that. He says, well, you get up in the morning, say please, and say, and I say thank you. And that's what I do now. It's automatic with me. If I want my mornings and my afternoons to go okay, I ask the higher power for help in the morning. I, I used to, the, I used to be the type of alcoholic, to ask God for this and ask God for that. Now I'm learning as I listen to the old timers and they have a lot of knowledge. And I, and I, I say to God today, please God, show me what I can do for you today. You know, let me know what I can do. Don't send me anyone happy. I can't work with someone that's happy. I need a sick suffering alcoholic to work with. Because it brings me back to reality. I don't want to get too complacent. If you bring nothing but happiness around me, I'll forget where I was. And an old timer told me, Joel, he says, you ever forget when you're on the bottom? You never deserve to be on the top. You see so many people come to Alcoholics Anonymous. They're devastated. They've lost something of great importance to them. And they, they come to Alcoholics Anonymous and they get everything they think they need and they stop being grateful. <laughs> Then all of a sudden, they lost everything they thought they needed, and they come back, and they find God of their understanding, and they find a fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, their hope, their love, their caring, their understanding, 
One thing about Alcoholics Anonymous, I've done everything possible at a meeting to disrupt it. I've done everything in my power to say the right thing at a meeting. But some of the things I've done at a meeting, when I first joined the A, I cannot believe that I'm still in this fellowship. Any other fellowship, would I wouldn't have lasted one day. You know, I was very rebellious, very angry. And another incident that took place, and I was a very violent drunk. Very violent. I couldn't wait to get into trouble. Disrupt the bar. Disrupt the city. I couldn't wait. The police used to ask me, how could you be in so many places at one time? <laughs> you know? And I don't even remember being there. Imagine getting charged for things that you don't even know that you did. You know? And last September 24th, I just want to show you what God's done for me. And maybe some people here today will think I'm a sissy for this. This happening, but I don't think I'm a sissy. I think I found God. I used to be very violent. I didn't take anything from anybody. And this man, I owed him a dollar seventy-five from a convention. He was an AA member. He used to be. Because AA members don't operate the way this, this man operated with me. Last September 24th, I'll never forget it because it was my sister's birthday. I was in a shopping mall and this man come up to me. Pretty big. And he says to me, he says, I want my dollar seventy-five from four years ago. And I says, have you been to a meeting lately? <laughs> and he hit me. <laughs> he hit me. He punched me in the mouth. And I says, I'll pray for you. <laughs> and he hit me in the eye. And I says, I'll pray for you. And he hit me in the other eye. Then he punched me in the nose. And he started kicking me. The miracle is, at one time, the guy wouldn't be walking the streets anymore for doing that to me. I tried to raise my hands in defense. I couldn't. He was hitting me, he was kicking me. He didn't knock me out. But he was big, but he didn't knock me out. And I couldn't understand when the cops come there, they said, did you hit him? And I says, I couldn't hit him. The cop says, uh, what do you mean you couldn't hit him? You, you couldn't hit him? I, I couldn't pick up a chair like I used to. I didn't want to, I didn't, I couldn't do nothing. I had a spiritual awakening. You know? I had a spiritual awakening. I took, I took the, the punishment. I turned the other cheek like the, like the higher powers taught me. You know, I'm a changing man. The violence is leaving me. The defects of character are all being arrested through the grace of God. You know? I have to show these examples because maybe there's somebody sitting here today that wondering if, if God can change them. God can change anybody that wants to be changed. Faith without works is dead. You have to have the willingness, the honesty, and open-mindedness to change. You know, I care about the alcoholic today. I love the alcoholic today. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't talk to the alcoholic. You know, I've been I've been hurting for a long time, and if it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't know what the hell I'd do. Thank God I'm on a job where I can get on the phone and call another alcoholic and say, hey, I need help. You know, most alcoholics that you call, they know you need help, or why would you be calling them? You know? I use, I try to use the psychology the old timer used on me. I'm just a young timer. I don't have that much knowledge. I have enough knowledge today to know that when I'm asked to do something for Alcoholics Anonymous, whether I want to do it or not, I gotta get off my behind and do it. And usually, it's what I don't want to do for Alcoholics Anonymous after I do it. I feel such a peace of mind and the football leaves my stomach. The knots in my stomach have left me today. Because I'm trying to convey the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And there's always in a crowd like this, there's so many people probably hurting today. 
there's such an emotional involvement at a convention. You know, there's so much love. And when you get in your car and you go home and you, you have, I know me, I feel so empty after a convention because there's been so much love. Even if you're not talking to another alcoholic, there's been so much love shared and cared. Just the feeling that you get at a convention, the love, the happiness, the smiling faces, you know. I don't know why the hell I ever drank, you know. But if I ever wanted to be on a panel, it would be on a Sunday morning. Because Sunday morning used to be my worst day. I'd just be shaking and couldn't wait to get to bootleggers, you know. Thank God that God has got rid of my fear and my delusion and some, most of my anxieties today. Thank God that I can live with Joe. Because if I can't live with Joe, and everywhere I go I take Joe, who the heck can I live with? i got to get used to me. Once you get used to loving yourself, you can love other men. And the more you give, you know, I always, uh, people say to me, you hear so many people say, what is the will of the higher power for me? What is, uh, what is God? And I'll end just with the prayer that I try to live by every day. And this is my definition of, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the definition of my life today. This is the definition of, uh, the language of the heart for me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Printed in Italy. All you service-minded alcoholics, I'll leave you with one thought before I say thank you. A lady from Oklahoma told me, she says, Joey, if you have one hand to the higher power and you want, you have one hand on the shoulder of another drunk, you don't have a third hand to drink. Thank you. That was great, Joel. I uh, was at a talkathon two years ago in Sioux, Ontario, and uh, Joel um, helped me. We weren't friends because he wasn't friends with too many people then. But I remember that particular talkathon and. Um, it happened to be the anniversary of, of uh, the girlfriend he mentioned. It happened to be the anniversary of her death. And uh, get up and shared uh, at the talkathon about how much he wanted to drink that day and um, to escape. And um, instead, he was with us, and uh, he's still with us. I thought that was terrific. Just an announcement here. Uh, somebody found a case of Dr. Bob and pass it on. And um, I guess that's going to close shortly after the meeting. So whoever's responsible for that, I guess that's what the message is to, to uh, deal with that or to resolve that. 
I was in a hospital in 1969. I was 23 years old. And I met this guy that was about 60. He was in there for an operation. I was in, I was in to get my wife back. <laughs> playing on her sympathy. Just reminded me, I heard this one time, I mean, I didn't get here because I'm smart, I got here because of Al-Anon brutality. <laughs> anyway, this fellow was an AA member, he was in for an operation, and he introduced himself to me and he said, "What are you? why are you here? And I said, nerves. <laughs> and he said, I've never been asked this question this way before. He said, do you have a drinking problem? And I said, yes. And I meant to say no. <laughs> and that was the beginning of being 12-step. Um, that's how I found out about AA. Drank after, but I look back on that and it just kind of sh sends shivers up and down my spine. Our next speaker uh, is Mark. Um, Mark is from a place called Timmins, Ontario. Um, his hometown is Sudbury. And Mark and I have been friends uh, for about eight years. And um, Mark has gone through, through some trials and tribulations in his sobriety. And... Um, but he's working hard at it. Mark? I'm an alcoholic. My name is Mark. And I'm French. I was once asked to talk on uh, on other than the spiritual aspects of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and it was about 20 minutes of silence <laughs> because, as I understand this program, it is 100% spiritual program. I grew up in a uh, good Christian home. I since come uh, since coming to AA, I found out that that's the uh, <coughs> breeding grounds of alcoholism. <laughs> and uh, as a child, I was taught the love of God. That God loved me. That he wanted the best for me. And I felt very comfortable with that for a long, long time. Um, I had a, a good relationship with God as a child. Then I uh, found alcohol. And girls, 
That's a good breeding ground for alcoholism. <laughs> Girls. I found alcohol at a very young age, about 13. I was a uh, average student, I guess. I thought I was average. Uh, but somehow I didn't quite fit into where I wanted to be. I wanted to be above average. I wanted to be the captain of the football team. I wanted to be the captain of the hockey team. And the coaches didn't quite see it that way. They uh, saw me as average. I thought when I had a friend, I wanted to be a friend among friends. The Not, not a friend among friends. I wanted to be his best friend. I wanted to be the center of attention at home. And I was, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> but I wanted all the love that I could muster. And it never seemed to work out that way. But when I found alcohol, I learned how to perform. I learned how to lie. And God went out the window. Because I could not justify telling lies and having God love me just didn't compute. So in my adolescence, I thought being popular was more important. And alcohol helped me to do that. <coughs> off the playing field, off the football fields, I was the captain of the team. Just ask anybody. I told them. And that was a lie. And I was the captain of the hockey team. And that was a lie. And I was everybody's best friend. And that was a lie. And I lived like that for ten years. Absolute inner turmoil. Most of the time. My brother who happens to be in the program uh, a couple of years before me, a few years before me, he used to tell me at 18 years old, I'm going to save you a chair. I said, you'll never see me in there. <clears throat> that place is good for you because you need it. <laughs> and here I am. And you know what? I'm glad he did. I'm glad he saved me a chair. Because coming here, I found God again. I had a hard time uh, understanding the love of God after all the, the lies, all the uh, turmoil that I put others through, all the self-centeredness. I thought, I never once felt that God had abandoned me. I felt that I had abandoned God. And that I didn't deserve his love. But I was taught here that I do. Just like every one of you. I don't even have to earn it. I don't have to lie to him.
I don't have to be the captain of the hockey team. You see, God doesn't like hockey. It's too violent. <laughs> Conrad mentioned that uh, I'd had a few turmoils in my life, to put it mildly. Uh, nine and a half years ago, I came through the doors of this program, and the only guys that were there were like, uh, you, sir, gray hair, and that fellow over there with no hair. <laughs> And I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> this is terrible. But they accepted me. I thought, I'm too young to be here. <laughs> but the Lions Club doesn't want me, so I'll stay here. <laughs> but they taught me about God. They taught me about God. It's important to me that people such as yourselves and uh, and uh, people in other convention halls such as this and club meetings and uh, kitchen tables where the real AA is accept me because for 10 years I didn't and to a great part of my sobriety I still don't I still don't I envy Joe, his self-love. But I'm learning. I'm learning that it's okay to feel. And the greatest part of my, I guess, my spiritual message this morning is that it's okay to feel. I get angry when I get angry. And I get angry when I lust. Because I read Playboy, too. <laughs> the articles are good. <laughs> I get angry at myself because I still hurt others sometimes. But I guess I have to look at, at a pattern of growth, you know, uh, I probably, I probably don't hurt as many people in a year today that I used to do in a month. So that's probably 12-fold growth. And I need you people to point that out to me. It's okay to feel. It's okay to have emotions. Those are God's gifts to me, my emotions. If I didn't have them, I better find six friends in a hurry because I'm dead. But I've also found love. The love for the sick and suffering alcoholic. The love for mankind as a whole. I guess statistically speaking, we're about 15% of the population. So if I just direct my love to alcoholics, 
I'm missing out on 85% of the world. We all have inner turmoils. However, we've been chosen by, our, by my, my higher power. I've been chosen to be alcoholic or to be a recovering alcoholic. I should say, I think I chose to be an alcoholic. He, didn't, he never poured anything down my throat. But he chose that I could share my inner turmoils with you. My feelings. The other 85% of the population are either gamblers, sex addicts, emotions addicts. So they all got their own programs. But I love them anyway. I love them anyway. And this program has given me that. I hated everybody. I hated everybody. Because I thought so. And I did. I have a gift, if you will, of having the most vicious tongue in Sudbury, I guess. I could do more damage in five minutes talking to people talking at them and I don't want to be like that anymore and thank God of my understanding that I'm not basically I still have my moments which shows me that I still belong here that I still can come here to learn and to feel the anger and the I won't say last Sunday morning. <laughs> it's okay to come here and feel. And I'm glad that I can. Those are gifts. I was talking to a chap yesterday about <coughs> inner turmoil. And that's a very positive thing. If it's used positively in my life which I seldom do, but sometimes I do. It's God telling me, hey, I want to talk to you. You know? Do you want to grow up or don't you? Do you want to stay in a state of emotional bliss? And I say, yes, I do. And then the question comes back, do you want to grow up? Do you want to experience things to help others as others have experienced to help you? Hundreds of people in my tenure in Alcoholics Anonymous have reached out and helped me. People that don't know me personally, people that do. But they know me inside because looking at me it's like holding up a mirror of themselves. Joe talked about self-love and helping someone as if you're helping yourself. I think that's what we do. And I'm glad that when I came here to Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't have to work out the 12 traditions or the 12 steps or all the literature. I didn't have to write it or argue about what should go in the books. It was all there. It was all there for me. It was all there to use. And I have some good people in my life that help me. They direct me through the books. 
They direct me through the steps. I wish they'd do it for me, but they can't. They can't. But they help. Out of love. Love. Love is a big word. I used to love going to McDonald's. <laughs> or I loved going to a hockey game. But that wasn't love. Today I love you people. 90% of you I haven't even met this weekend. But I love you anyway. In spite of the fact that you're alcoholic. <laughs> In spite of the fact that all of us here have things in our past that we're not very proud of. I love you because of those things. Because you've loved me for the same reason. And you've allowed me to feel. I was never allowed to feel before. I didn't want to be weak. I wanted to be outstanding. So I didn't feel anything. Or I didn't let on that I felt anything. And that was ten years of sheer, desperate loneliness. And I rarely feel lonely today. Unless I choose to. And that is a gift of God. You know, I don't... I haven't earned any of those gifts, I don't think. I think He gives them to me because He loves me. It's like my children. They sometimes feel they have to earn gifts from me. I give them gifts because I love them. My little guy one time broke a lamp. And he uh, was terrified. And he blamed his sister. But you know, when he finally did look up over those drooping uh, eyelids and saw me smiling, he knew it was okay. He knew it was okay. He knew he would have to pay a consequence for his action. But he knew that I still loved him. And that's how God feels about me. I've broken a lot of lamps, believe me. Figuratively speaking. And I blame everybody for what goes on. When the final moment comes, i got to look up through drooping eyelids. And you know what? God's smiling, saying it's okay. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. There's a song by Neil Diamond called I Am, I Said. Some of you that are Neil Diamond fans will know it. Talks about a frog who dreamed of being a king and then became one. 
And he says, except for the names and a few other changes, when you talk about me, the story is the same one. He's talking in that song about uh, reaching out, searching. Talks about talking to someone who's not there. Says a few words and he says the only thing that hurt him was the chair. Um, no, he said the, the line is no one heard at all, not even the chair. And after that fellow I mentioned before had given me the message of AA, I came in here, got my marriage straightened out, and I got drunk again. And about six months later, I was back. My wife kicked me out. That's what I mean by all non-brutality. <laughs> she was fed up. And I was staying in a room. And as Joe mentioned, they... The AA members talked to me about talking to a power greater than myself. Now, I already had a power greater than myself. And that power was the power of Alcoholics Anonymous, the we in step one. Because I, w I had been sober about, at that time about six weeks, and I'd never been able to do that by myself. So the we in step one was a power. I didn't recognize that then. I can see that now. But I can remember trying dress desperately to make contact with God. And I would close my eyes. And I think now if I open them, he's going to be sitting in the corner. I'd open them and he wouldn't be there. I think, well, maybe I'm, if I just sit quiet, I'm going to hear a voice and of course, if you hear the voice, you automatically know that it's God's voice. I don't know how we know that, but and that never happened to me. I sat quiet many times waiting for God to talk to me. Never did it. I thought, well, maybe it's going to be like Bill Wilson. I'm going to hear, you know, if I open the window, there'll be a rushing wind come in, and I'll, I'll just know that that's God speaking. And that never happened. You could also see that I was insane at the time. Hadn't been restored to sanity. Because I thought God was some kind of a superman. He was going to press a button, and everything in my life was just going to turn around. And I'd sit in that room, and I would, what I call, pray. And the only thing that heard me was the walls and the air, blackness sometimes, the chair sitting in the corner. And when I listen to that song by Neil Diamond, during the whole song, it's about a two-minute song, the hair in the back of my neck stands up for the whole song because I know exactly where that person that wrote that song was at when they wrote it. And all I was doing basically was saying, help me, as Joe mentioned, and thank you. But nothing heard me. That's how I felt. And one day, I don't even know where I was. Something was different. Something inside me was different. And it was so small, 
that I wouldn't even talk about it because it was as close as I can put my fingers and thumb together without touching them. That's how small it was. But it was different and I could sense it. It was a feeling, as Mark was talking about. And that was my higher power. That became my higher power. And so when I'd go to an AA meeting and they'd talk about a higher power, I'd talk about mine, but I wouldn't tell them what it was because I was afraid. But I knew I had one. And I started to call it God because everybody, well, most of the other AA members did, and I wanted to be, be amongst you people, so I called mine God too. But I knew, I knew that it was there. Something was there that was different. And I was staying sober. If you ask me about God as I understand Him today, I can't tell you very much about it. I just know that it's there. It's there in nature. It's there in some of the readings that I read, whether it be the Bible or other religions, the big book. Uh, it's there. It's there in people's faces. It's still there in the we of step one. It was there the first day I came into AA. It's here. And when the Suffering alcoholic calls and we go, people still get sober. Um, and I, the next speaker, uh, I remember being on a couple of parties with him after I was in AA and taking his inventory. He was, we're from the same hometown and, um, in that particular town, everybody knows everybody else's business. And so you hear things about people. And I would hear things. I heard things about Don when I was drinking, but I heard lots more after I got sober. You you stay in touch uh, just because people gossip. Uh, it's a good way of actually you know, spreading the message sometime. And one day, um, he gave me a call, and he asked for help. And um, the beauty of it is, I told somebody this last night, I think I told Marie this last night, he has been so grateful to me, another fellow that, we, that came in the 12-step call, and every time I say to him, you have helped me far more than I have helped you, he doesn't believe me. That's the truth. He's so grateful that that makes me feel guilty. And so I have to look at my own program and say, here you are, sober since 1969, and you talk about gratitude, but how much do you show it? You talk about having all the answers, but what do you do when you're in trouble? Do you ask for help? No. You do it your way. And I learn those things, or relearn them, I guess, from new people. And so Don has helped me much more than I ever helped him. I'll call Don with that. My name's Don, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm not French, and I'm not Italian. I'm an Anglo-Saxon Protestant, sort of. 
I had to stop reading Playboy and, Pl- and Penthouse because they wouldn't print my letters to their advice columns. <laughs> Not long after I called Conrad, we were having a conversation and he said to me, he was referring to the party that he had seen me at where I was performing. And he said to me, do you know how long I waited for that call? And at the time, I didn't understand. I didn't understand that Conrad would think of that call as a call from his higher power. Now I'm beginning to appreciate through this program what it must have been like. And I pray for those calls to come my way. Since coming to this program, I've developed a sense of... uh, It's like being schizo. It's like there's two people in my head talking to me. One is the Don that I used to be. And one is the Don that I hope to be. The Don that I used to be, when he wants my attention, he goes, Don. The one that I hope to be says, Hey, dummy. (laughs) I get them mixed up. I choose to mix them up in my daily living. And that causes me a lot of turmoil. I started uh, drinking in uh, kind of a typical way. I've heard people describe the start in their stories so often I don't think I need to repeat it. I got into serious drinking, like heavy-duty top-drawer drinking when I was about 21. I got a job in a hotel serving draft beer. Despite the drinking that I'd done to that point, I now realized that I was innocent, naive, and gullible when I went to work in that beverage room. I can still remember in vivid detail waiters, when they would get a break for five or ten minutes, would go over by the cigarette machine, which was located next to the door to the men's room, set their tray down, take a couple of drafts off the tray, and just throw them back. And I can remember thinking, as, I, as I'd watched them do that, I don't understand why they drink like that, you know? Why don't they sit down at a table and drink it slowly? Why would they go bang, bang? Of course, it didn't take me long before I understood why they drank like that. I saw a lot of things in that hotel that at first disgusted me, then I came to accept. As my drinking progressed, that's the way it progressed. At first I would be a little bit shocked at what was happening, but then I would come to accept it. It became easy. Since coming to the program, of course, 
the way I the way I remember things has changed completely. I find it difficult to accept that I was that kind of a person. My last big drunk was at the end of a promise. I'd made a promise to my wife, who had been on my case for years, that this was it. I wasn't going to drink ever again. There would be nothing that would ever get me to take a drink. The only condition that I set was that she would never mention it to me again. I'll quit drinking and you shut up about it. She said, I'd be happy to do that. She said, the only thing that I expect from you is that if you ever start again, that you'll go for help. I said, sure, no problem. (laughs) Make a long story short, uh, we were coming home from a dance one night. This was only, uh, I would say, two or three months after the start of The Promise. She was driving because I was too drunk to sing. And she started at me. She broke her promise. <laughs> she said, I can't remember her exact words. It doesn't matter, but... But she really jumped me. She said, do you realize what you did to those people? Do you realize the feelings that you hurt back at that dance? I went right into anger. I'm not very proud of the next part. I got the keys out of the ignition. I got the driver's door open. Thank God the car stopped before I managed to push her out on the goddamn road. Some people happened uh, to be behind us. I screamed at those people as they were asking what was going on just to get her away from me. And I took off. I don't remember much of what happened after that. Until the following day... uh, when she said to me, will you please get help? And like Conrad, I meant to say no, but I said, yes, I will. I'd known Conrad for a long time, mostly by reputation. I never never drank with Conrad, but I knew that he had quit drinking. And uh, so I looked him up in the phone book and I called him. At that point, I didn't know very much about AA. I think that was the first time in my life that I listened to the guy that said, Hey, dummy. Anyway, I said, I said, Conrad, uh, it's Don Fart, we're calling, uh, I know you've quit drinking for a long time, and I think I've got a problem with drinking. Uh, could I get together with you sometime? I'd like to talk to you about it. And he said, sure. 
Where are you? And I said, I'm at home. He said, I'll be right there. I said, no, 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 Connor, don't. Don't worry. (laughs) It's not that important, you know. And he said, no, he said, I don't mind. He said, uh, I'm not doing anything. I'll come out and see. Oh, you know, it's all right, Connor. You don't have to. Damn it, he was there. He was right there. During the conversation, uh, he and Tom asked me if I'd like to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I thought to myself, uh-oh, what have I done? Next night, I met Tom in front of a place called Scholard Hall in North Bay. It's a huge building. A lot of people drive by Scholard Hall. <laughs> Tom was standing beside his car eating french fries. And as I pulled up, I thought, I have to get him inside that building as fast as I can. (laughs) He wasn't ready to do that. He wanted to talk to me for a few minutes before we went in. And I prayed to God to get those french fries into his mouth as fast (laughs) as they would go. I mean, I I, I was saying, come on, God, make him hungry. We went into the meeting, and uh, first thing I did, of course, was check everybody out in the room. Do I know any faces here? Does anybody know me? Tom told me that I didn't have to say anything. I didn't have to give them any money. I didn't have to do anything. My thought was, there's something wrong with this outfit. After the meeting... Something said to me, not, perhaps not conscious thought, but something said to me, Don, you're going to do whatever they tell you to do, and you're not going to question it. You're just going to do it. These guys know how to stop drinking. If you're ever going to take an opportunity, I think you'd better take this one. I think that was the the second time that uh, God let me out of the penalty box. Since then, things have just gotten better and better and better. I struggled uh, desperately, meeting after meeting, with talk about higher powers in God, I can remember thinking, as I'm sure many of you have, how did I get involved in this talk of God? How can I avoid searching for a higher power? What the hell has that got to do with quitting drinking? Tom would say to me, Don, uh, remember as carefully as you can, this simple message, don't drink. Don't worry about the higher power that you can't find, you don't want to look for. Don't worry about any of those things, just don't drink. And he said, please, be prepared, because those urges, that decision to drink, that that little chink in your armor will be revealed to you, that 
urge to drink will come like a curveball. You won't see it coming. The drink will be in your hand and up to your lips before you know it. Be ready, and remember, don't drink. And uh, when I look back on those words, I think that was another moment when my higher power was speaking to me. He hadn't actually said, hey, dummy, to me yet. But he was sneaking in there. His voice was getting a little louder in my mind. I went to a conference in Toronto last March, I believe it was. And I was with a, a friend of mine in the program. This friend had, had come out to my house one evening with uh, another fellow unannounced. They brought a case of beer with them. They didn't know that I'd stopped drinking. They just came to see me as they had many, many other times. And when they came in, rightly or wrongly, I put their beer in the fridge, opened them a couple, and I made myself a coffee. And they just stared at me and said, what's going on? I said, well, so I don't want to spoil your evening, but I've decided not to drink today. I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous. Before the evening was over, one friend said to me, Don, next time you're going into one of those meetings, give me a call. He said, I'd like to go with you. The other guy said, you're just as much of an asshole when you're sober as you were when you were drunk anyway. <laughs> So he says, I don't care what you do. <laughs> I thought about that because by then I'd, I'd read some of the literature and I'd heard that I was supposed to be responsible and I thought about that request and decided not to call him. That Saturday night, sitting at my home group, meeting had been going on about five minutes, and guess who walked in? My friend. He sat down across from me, and I thought to myself, boy, does he ever look nervous. So I wrote him a note. I said, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to give them any money. You just do what you want. And I slid the note across to him. And he quickly wrote something and pushed it back to me, and he said, Don, this is my fifth meeting. <laughs> I, heard, I heard the words, hey, dummy, resounding in my head. He was there. I recognized that I too had a higher power. But all I had to do was learn to accept. Even if I was disgusted at the start, I had to accept that he was there. Getting back to the conference in Toronto, which obviously happened after that, my friend came to the conference. He came late. He was all excited. Business was terrific. He was extremely busy. He hadn't been able to get to the conference on time to start because he'd had a terrible day. He was upset with me because I wasn't there to, to uh, tell him whether he was registered in my room or not. 
He was really in a dither. And I thought to myself, doesn't matter. The hell with him. I've got my serenity. Here I am at the conference. I'm enjoying myself. I'm not going to let him put a pin in my balloon. That night, at about 2 o'clock in the morning, he and I were going up in the elevator to the hotel room. I could tell he was upset with me. And I was struggling not to get involved with his problems because I thought that's where it was at. The elevator stopped. The doors opened. And a hooker walked into the elevator. She propositioned us, I suppose. I said to her, no, I'm not interested. The elevator opened at our floor, and Miles and I got off, and he said, what the hell is your problem? He said, that was a gift from heaven. You turned it down. <laughs> I said, I said, Miles, just get off my case. That's, that's the way I felt. We went into the hotel room, and he said, look it. He said, uh, he said, I know that I've made things kind of rough on you right here. He said, how about if we smoke a joint and talk about it? And I said, okay, why not? I wasn't listening. All I heard was, Psst. I didn't hear anybody say, hey, dummy, be careful. Here it is. Here's the curve that Tom was telling you about. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Be ready. The next day was terrible. I was full of remorse. My head was just spinning with all the things that I had heard at the table. All I could hear was, hey, dummy, you weren't ready. I don't think I'll ever forget that situation. I don't think I'll ever forget how that happened. I think that, that what I've learned from that experience is that despite the fact that I say in humor, it's, hey, dummy, he's really saying to me, Don, be ready. You're not a dummy. You're not less than anybody else. You're not perfect. But I'm here to help you be ready and achieve happiness through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous if you'll just let me. In the times that I have, particularly since then, in the times that I have listened carefully in my daily living, watched for his will, things have been terrific. <coughs> they have been nothing short of incredible. He doesn't, God doesn't reveal himself to me in, in spectacular ways. Most often it's when I'm not thinking about him. <clears throat> Last winter, he let me see his presence one day. 
My son and his friend were out with my snow machine going up and down the, the road. We live in the country, and there was a, a long stretch of the road that was just covered in mud. I saw them doing this on the outside, and I, I yelled at them, Stay out of the mud, or you're going to get the machine stuck. And I went back in the house. I knew they were going to get the machine, the machine stuck. Being an alcoholic, I had already decided how I was going to punish them when they got the machine stuck. <laughs> this was going through my mind steadily. The machine wasn't in the mud, and I resented both of them. At any rate, when they came in the house, they were afraid to come to me. They went to Sandra and they said, tell Dad the machine's stuck. <laughs> I had to bite my tongue. It was all I could do to walk out to that road without going after both of them. I struggled with that damn machine because I was so full of resentment that nothing would work. I got the machine out of the mud. I was walking back to the house. I was so goddamn mad. I don't know what I would have done. My wife met me at the door. And she said, Don, if you only could have been in here listening to them while you were out there working with the snow machine. I said, what do you mean? She said, Jamie's friend said to him, boy, Jamie said, if that was my dad, he says, would we ever be in shit? <laughs> And my son replied, that's the way it used to be with my dad, too. But he says, now I've got an AA dad. Thanks very much. I'm glad to be here in Tobol. Just be a few uh, few seconds. I just want to tell you one story about Don, too. He had a second uh, anniversary this, I think it was in July, and his wife gave him a, a little book with a bunch of prayers in it, eh? And uh, he was talking about how he would have felt about that uh, when he first came into AA, like uh, the, what he would have been cynical and probably throwing the thing in the garbage, you know? And... Um, the progression of recovery is just uh, just blew him away. I remember that night; it was terrific. There's going to be a few announcements. I want to close with a little piece out of the big book, and I'll turn it back to John. These uh, men on the panel this morning, the ones that I had originally asked, I tried to get a variety, and we ended up with a good variety anyway. I know, in speaking with them that their desire, their motive, was to do the very best they could, as I feel most, if not all, AA speakers do. Um, I knew that because I know them and we talked about it. I hope you got a message from them all, or one of them, um, I know that I did. I got something from all of the three, and I'd like you to give them a hand, please.
page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. It's a thrill always to hear our friends from the north. I was talking with the tape people uh, just after Joe finished his talk, and they told me, unfortunately, there is no way to slow that tape down. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.